what that's what you missed last week. been looking at uh, the commandments of the Lord and uh, it's interesting I, I corresponded with Noah this week on WhatsApp telling him that he got a love offering from a certain church and that what I was doing now is making lessons on the 49 commandments of the Lord and he says in the Great Commission teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you and how that uh, he uh, uses that, he says he has about 15 commands that he uses in discipleship and how important that he thinks it is and, uh, and how it's been a blessing for those there in Lebanon. But when we come to these commands of the Lord, uh, prior to the first one in Matthew 4:17 and, and in Mark 1:15. Jesus says uh, ministry hasn't really started yet. It's, it's kind of a year of obscurity where he's not publicly ministering. And during that year, uh, John the Baptist points him out as the Lamb of God. Uh, he, John's disciples will be encouraged to follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus is going to be baptized of John. Immediately after that, Jesus goes into the wilderness and and. After 40 days of fasting, he's tempted. And then he goes from there into the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which would have been in northern Israel. And when you read about Zebulun and Naphtali, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it talks about as a land of darkness, probably the most needy area in history of that moment was the land of Naphtali and Zebulun. And he goes there as the light of the world to begin his public ministry. The very first commands that he gave were repent ye and believe the gospel. And then just two verses after that, he gives another command and he says, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. The next in chronological order was rejoice in your suffering, rejoice. When they say false things about you, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. And then let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. And then he tells them that he didn't come to destroy the law but to fulfill it. And, uh, and he commands them to fulfill the law. Now today, we come to the sixth command in a chronological order, and that's found here in verse 21 of Matthew chapter five. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And of course, that's part of the 10 commandments. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. 
And whosoever say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. And so the command that we find in this passage is a command there in verse 24 when he says, be reconciled to thy brother. That uh, is uh, not something that's uh, debatable. It's just, it's just a, a clear-cut command. And as we've done before, we, we ask, what, what does the command say? And then we're going to ask how it relates to the scriptures around it and other scriptures in the Bible. And then we're going to come to the crisis moment where we talk about what are we going to do with what we've heard and what we've been commanded. Are we going to obey? Are we going to search our hearts to see if this applies to us? Are we going to give an excuse? So what are we going to do? And so uh, just to concentrate on the 23rd verse, when it says gift there, when I bring thy gift, it's not necessarily uh, uh, offering of money or a sacrifice of an animal in the Old Testament, but it includes uh, any kind of worship atmosphere. It uh, includes gifts, it can include prayers, it can include sacrifices, but it's more in the vein, I believe, in Psalms 51:17, where he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. And so we just ought to look at that as a worship, that we've come to worship the Lord, that we've come to praise Him, we've come to interact with Him, to, to uh, lift up our hearts to Him. And when it says altar, we immediately kind of think of, you know, a built-up altar with rocks. But an altar is just a place where the sacrifice is offered. It involves, again, worship. And this worship, he says, he says that this worship that you're trying to do, that this relationship you're trying to build with me is not going to be accepted if you're not right with your brother. This worship and this relationship that you're wanting to have with me is not going to be accepted until you're right with your brother. And so he's going to say reconcile. Reconcile means to have one's feelings changed towards another. It's to try to restore normal relationships. And it's going to involve harmony. It's going to be the ceasing of enmity and animosity and quarrel and the bitter spirit and the feeling of being hurt. 
it's, you know, it's interesting, the pastor, when he preached the other day about Joseph, but Joseph, when he went to Egypt, he didn't lay there in his self-pity and say, you know, I've been hurt and I'm going to have to heal from this before I can go on. No, he said, God's, God's let this happen and we're going to go on. And so, so there's attitudes of our hearts that sometimes really affect us. And then he says, uh, <clears throat> then as we look at it in the context, he begins and he uh, talks about murder and anger. And then he says, therefore, um, when we see the word therefore, of course, the standard rule of the Bible is we ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? And actually, it's pretty shocking why it's therefore. Because he relates the fact that there's trouble between brothers and sisters in Christ and there's a split that it directly relates to murder. I'll let that sink in a little bit. That's shocking. Our attitude towards others is shocking because at the heart of murder is our attitude towards others. And so, uh, I don't necessarily like that. <laughs> One of the things that related to Noah is that every one of these commands brings us to a crisis. And am I going to obey this or not obey it? Am I going to acknowledge what he's saying or not acknowledge that? You know, we can, we can go through life having a problem with that guy. And I'm not saying that every problem can be restored. And ever, ever, I'm, I'm not saying that things can be even healed like you wanted it to be or, or brought back to the way they were. But what's being addressed here is not the consequences, but what's being addressed is my heart at the moment. And have I forgiven them before God? Have I cast it all on him? Have I moved on from that? Or am I stuck right here? And so, it's not a little problem. Oftentimes what we see as a simple disagreement is something that lays at the heart. And I can say, well, you know, God commands me to love you, but I don't have to like you. Well, that's a seedbed that's going to sprout into what murder comes from. 
And so he says here in verse 21, you've heard that it was said by then of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in day of judgment. They were just simply the, the functioning on the process is that murder is a violation of the laws of the land, and it calls for capital punishment. When it talks about old time, we, we know that uh, it goes all the way back to the flood where the Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of the heart were only evil continually. And then that's chapter 6. And then in chapter 9, God says, Whoever kills, takes blood, his blood will be required of him. Well, let's just go there. I think sometimes people don't grasp what chapter 9 and verse 6 of Genesis is saying. But chapter 9 and verse 6 is saying, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he men. Well, that's right there. This command requires government. It requires someone to, to uphold the law. And so in, immediately after the flood, government is made, and, and we know that God institutes even greater fact of government and the, the avenger and those things that are in the New Testament. But we have, we have capital punishment being uh, sanctioned by the Lord. And now Jesus comes along and says, okay, capital punishment, we have it here, we have it in the, in, um, in here, I mean in Genesis 9, 6, and we have it in the Ten Commandments. But he comes along and says that we need to go to the root cause. And that's what he's been doing when he's been commenting on these commands, of these uh, Old Testament commands. The root cause of murder must be dealt with and not just the fact that the civil law requires this. And so we want to be preventive here. We want to find out what would bring a, a person to murder someone. Well, if you go over to Matthew 15 and verse 19, and we've been here a couple of times because it applies quite a bit across the board. But Matthew 15, 19 says, For out of the heart perceive evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. And so the heart of the problem is the heart. How I think in my heart, how I feel in my heart. And that's why he says that shocking word, therefore, Watch what you think, because our thoughts and our heart's attitude and our actions towards others spring from the heart, and the words, thou shalt not kill, go beyond the very act of murder. And he's basically saying that thou shalt not kill, board boils down, when you boil it all down, it comes from 
thou shalt not hate. And then note verse 22, it's an interesting word, and I struggled with this and looked, looked, studied it quite a bit, but first of all, let me say to you that when he says, but I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, raucous, shall be in danger of counsel, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. These are not, this, don't understand this as degrees, that this first one is this, this degree, and then later this degree, and the last one, hell fire. These are all three things that are equal. And, and they are just saying, these are attitudes. I used to know a guy who, had, who had worked with youth quite a bit, and he said, now watch your tude, watch your tude. <laughs> and uh, when kids were getting out of line, and actually he had more of a tude than anybody, but we won't go there. Uh, but these are talking about attitudes. They're wrong. And he's, he's basically saying uh, that you better watch how you think about people. Who's saying that, that who's angry is whose anger with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Who shall say raka? Raka is like uh, saying uh, empty head. And and uh, the last one, thou fool, is like saying you stupid jerk. And uh, there's it's not a teasing attitude. It's not a teasing thing, but it's a, that it's something about you're expressing your heart's attitude toward them. You stupid jerk. Yeah, well, it says something about a heart, and he's trying to say, you know, that mindset is just this close to the mindset of murder. Now, what does that mean without a cause? Anger, of course, is emotional arousal for something that displeases us. And in itself, anger is not sin. God can be angry. In Deuteronomy 9, 8, and 20, he's angry. In Psalms 2, 12, he's angry. In Ephesians, he says, be ye angry and sin not. There ought to be things that anger us. And so God has given us the emotion of anger, but it's got to have a governor on it. And there's anger that's without a cause. Now what is that? Well, uh, a proper anger proper anger uh, proper anger uh, flows from flows from a heart of righteousness. 
that loves righteousness, a heart of love for righteousness. Anger without a cause proceeds from pride. You're not going to do that to me. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back harder. Is your problem with your brother centered in pride? And let me tell you where pride progresses to. It progresses to bitterness. And bitterness is deadly. And it's contaminating. And it flows on to others. And it never produces anything that's good. Listen. Because of who you are and who I am, there's nothing too bad that could be said of you because you're a sinner. And the only thing that gives you merit is God saved you. But when something is said against our Savior, we ought to be angry. And so there's an anger without a cause. And uh, it's flowing from a heart of pride and hatred and bitterness. Remember Cain and Abel? What was the problem? Well, Cain was upset because Abel's offering was accepted and his wasn't. And it was anger without a cause. And God said to him, listen, if you do right, you'll be accepted. But if you don't, sin lies at the door. If you're going to keep this attitude towards your brother, understand that sin lies at the door. And what happened? This attitude towards his brother ended in murder. Anger is really only lawful when it burns against sin and affects the glory of God. And so I must evaluate the reason for my anger is this anger selfish? Is it rooted in pride? Is it a response to a personal injustice? 
I can't, I can't believe they did that to me. I can't believe they did that to our Savior because of me. And so we need to evaluate is it rooted in pride and personal injustice? We surely must uh, confess our sin to God and to others. And so anger, I was looking for this. I'll get this straighter for you. Anger means empty-headed, airhead. I mean, raka means empty-headed, airhead, you idiot. Fool means you stupid jerk. And so he says, therefore, therefore, Leave thy gift before the altar and go thy way and first be reconciled to thy brother. Now that's kind of shocking for us who want to play the religious game. Oh, we're not, we're not uh, cultural Christians. Don't know. Independent Baptists, and especially Black Road Baptist Church, are not cultural Christians. But he's saying this. Your presence here today, and what comes out of your mouth when you sing the songs, and if you say amen in your heart or out loud, that means absolutely nothing to God if there's something between you and a brother. First, be reconciled. It's a command from our king. Be reconciled. As much as possible, we ought to try to live peaceably with all men. Reconciliation implies two things, whether it's between nations or groups or individuals. It implies that you're going to, you're going to remove it implies removal of, what, of the problem that caused it, if that's possible, maybe it's past, and it implies with uh, trying to, to write, to seek, to seek to seek uh, forgiveness. Look over in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And so, give it, you try to get it straight between you and them, or give it to the Lord. There's a vertical forgiveness and there's a horizontal forgiveness, and horizontal forgiveness can't always take place because it's wrong. Now listen to me carefully because I don't want to teach this whole lesson, but it's wrong to forgive the unrepentant. You go and you go to someone and you say you've done this and 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 uh, you know I, I forgive you. I'm going to forgive you. And when you leave, they say, "What? What was that all about? I didn't do anything wrong." But I can forgive him in a vertical way before the Lord and give it to the Lord. And let not the sun go down upon my wrath. And he says, to be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon my wrath, neither give place to the devil. And not only do we have this, this uh, pride And then that flowing to bitterness. But over here, pouring on the gasoline, getting this going, is Satan. And you give place to Satan, to the devil. Because if you don't settle it before you go to bed, when you get up in the morning, it's still there. And uh, when you won't forgive, then uh, Satan's got you by the tail on the downhill pull. Because let me tell you something about Satan. He's very proud, proudful. Man, doesn't our pride get us in trouble a lot? Does me. Let him, verse 28, let him that stole still no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that may have to give to them that him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That usually comes from pride. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Do you think that when we're at odds with a Christian brother or sister or family member, usually this really boils down to the people we spend more time with, and that's family members. Do you think that ever grieves the Spirit of God? 
that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That's the foundation. Verse 31 is the foundation upon which murder is built. And then he says, be kind one to another. What? You don't know what they said about me. Well, if they didn't say it about the Lord, it doesn't matter what they said about you. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Hmm. I know this, nothing's ever been done to me in a vindictive way that can in any degree be compared to what Christ took. And then go back with me to Matthew 5. And we've come to the crisis, the crisis in these lessons. Every command brings us to crisis. Will we vacillate? Should I do it? Do I feel like it? But the king doesn't, doesn't care how you feel. He commands us, be ye reconciled. It's a command from the king. It's a command from the savior. It's a command from him who loved us while we were yet unlivable. And he says in verse 25 of Matthew 5, It says, agree with thy adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. And so he's basically saying here, if, if you know somebody's got something against you, get it settled quickly. And I want you to note here, it said, agree, agree with thy adversary and then tell him what he's done to you. Didn't say that. It said to deal with that which he has against you. Agree with him. Yep, you're absolutely right. And I'm sorry for that. 
and join me in prayer that I could conquer this. I don't want to have this testimony. I don't want to have this dominating my life. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Will you forgive me? Yeah, I'll, I'll forgive you. But it's going to take me a while to get over it. Well, sin does have repercussions, and, and there's the degree of uh, going on, and, there's a not, and it's not always guaranteed, even when you forgive people, that the relationship that you had before will be the same. But there's no place in the Bible where we can just sit on it and lick our wounds. It's not found. And so he says, agree with our adversary quickly. If you don't, it's going to just, what? It's going to develop into more and more. It's going to end up him delivering you to the judge and the judge delivering you to the officer and be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farling, which means you've paid the last penny that you've given, you've paid. But I think there's more going on here than just that. Just saying, deal with it quickly because this thing could begin to multiply. Understand? If you don't deal with it, it takes on a character of its own. Look over in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 22, they asked Jesus how many times you forgive, and he said, until seven times, but until, not until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Then he gives this illustration, and we won't be able to go into all of it, uh, or maybe we will, we'll see. Oh, I've got eight minutes, and then I can cheat for three more. Uh, <laughs> that's a joke, people. Matthew 18, 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants, and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents, which is an enormous amount, incapable, incapable of paying it. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave the, him the debt. But, but the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence, which was like a hundred days wages. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. So this one had been forgiven the great debt goes and gets one that owes him a smaller debt. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. And so it's comparing our debt that we had to the Lord to something that someone has done to us. Almost incomparable in value. And he would not. But when he cast, he cast him in prison till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord what was done, all that was done. Then said the Lord after he had called him and said unto him, 
O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on the fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, anger. This is the Lord here is compared to God. And delivered him to the tormentors, so he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise, here's the point of the parable. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. <coughs> Let me tell you something. You're going to pay down to the final penny if you don't forgive people. This is shocking. If you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive. It's not talking about losing your salvation, but it's talking about having a fellowship and a sweet peace and walking daily with the Lord. You will not have it, and you're going to pay. You're not hurting anybody but you when you won't forgive. Look over in 2 Corinthians 6. Second Corinthians six and verse eighteen. He's talking about here separation, separating from idols, come out from among them. And then he says in verse eighteen, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. The context here is that. If we're walking in the world, then this is not saying, this is the way you get saved, and I'll be a father unto you, but what this is saying is, if you'll come out from among them and be a separate, I can be all the father that I want to be to you. That as, as your father, I have so much I want to give you, so much I want to bless you with, so, so, so much I want to experience with you, and you walk with me, and I walk with you. And, and the banner over us is love. But if you will not come out and be separate, then I can't be the father that I want to be. And that applies to not forgiving too. I mean, the Lord said there, if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive. Does that not shock you? It shocks me that I can miss out on what God has for me. And so, we come to the crisis moment. He talks about the legal way that they handled murder and that when murder was committed, they should be judged. But he says, therefore, because of that, and because of what murder springs from and the attitudes of heart it springs from, therefore, if you're trying to worship me and somebody's got something against you, you need to leave this place immediately as quickly as you can and get it settled. Otherwise, it takes on a whole new role and it begins to grow and develop 
And when that's passed on to others, churches begin to be split. Churches begin to take sides. And nothing good but destruction comes from it. But they deal with it immediately. And if you don't, you'll pay. Now the crisis moment. Has somebody got something against you? Do you have something against someone? And maybe you said, oh, I forgive you. But you didn't. When you forgive someone, you, you turn it loose. That, well, that's the very meaning of forgiveness. It was turned loose. It's removed as far as the east is from the west. It's buried in the deepest sea. And though we cannot forget what people have done, we can say, Lord, that's your problem. I'm not going to let this come between me and my God. Because when I do, I pay the very last penny. You see, these, uh, these, uh, these commands are so difficult to teach because they're so convicting. You can't sit there and just say, ah, I don't need their friendship anyway. No, you don't, but you need God's. All right, let's pray. Father, we need your grace so much. And our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Or that we can imagine and reason and excuse. But I pray, Father, that you'd love me enough to hold my feet to the fire. And these that set before me. If things need to be dealt with, I pray that there be no peace. There be no acceptance altar as you've said until it's tried to be settled in Jesus name amen <laughs>